0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Director of Performance Services at the Canadian Sports Institute, Jeremy Shepard. episode 103 of the Pace Performance podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and listening. So today we have Jeremy Shepard uh, in a new role this time. So coming from episode 28 when he was with in Australia to 103 when he's back home back in Canada. So today's episode we chat about that transition and the how things differ for Jeremy uh, at the minute compared to what he was doing uh, this well almost two years ago now so we also get into the obvious uh, the training chat so a lot of uh, Jeremy's experience with volleyball players and and jumping uh, and the mechanisms around jumping so we get into that in the second part of the episode so just before i get going with jeremy and the uh, the chat we have i just want to introduce you to ethan at coach me plus who's going to discuss uh music and arousal for the next couple of minutes so it's a, it's a definitely a topic we haven't touched on uh with with the main guest in any podcast so really interesting little uh, little bite-sized uh, bit of audio from ethan at coach me plus so i hope you enjoy both the little um little segment from ethan And the episode with Jeremy, and I will speak to you soon.
1: In this Sports Science Minute, I just wanted to have a quick discussion on music and its effect on motivation and uh, arousal. Um, If we go to high-performance environments, uh, most of the ones I've seen uh, pre-game, the locker room is silent. Uh, And that's really interesting uh, because uh, music uh, affects motivation and arousal in our athletes significantly differently um, a lot of times between athletes. Uh, Me personally, I'm a music person, so I always like to have my headphones in um, before big events. Uh, A lot of other athletes, uh, Nap, Apollo Anton Ono, he always used to yawn before his skating events. there are a lot of athletes that um, just like to zone out. You know, a lot of athletes uh, just like to joke around and try to keep it light. Um, and I think that's really interesting because when we go into the weight room environment, um, most of the weight room environments I've seen, there's always a lot of music. It's always really loud. Uh, and it's usually either, you know, really hard rock, metal type music or hip hop. Um, and that's really interesting because uh, the contrast to that is pregame. It's usually the locker room is silent and everybody gets to. Kind of individualize how they need to mentally prepare, and um, so the point, the part of the the point of this sports science minute is to uh, you know maybe challenge the norm a little bit and think about uh, the music that we're playing, what type of music, how loud it should be uh, in the weight room uh, because that affects the motivation and the arousal state of our athletes, um, and so maybe you know hard metal uh, or hip hop um, that's really loud. Um, is affecting our athletes uh, when they're trying to get a good training session and in the weight room Um, so maybe i'm going against the norm a little bit but uh, just challenges us to maybe think about something a little differently than what we're normally used to in uh, weight room environments all right hope that helps
0: thanks for tuning in to the patient performance podcast so today i have Jerry shepard uh, coming for a part two so i don't know if jeremy remembers but he was number 28 and that was probably um definitely going on two years so a few things have changed uh since then i think for me and and definitely for jeremy so just want to thank him for his time and welcome him again to the podcast so welcome jeremy
2: Thanks, man. It's uh, great to um, to be a part of this. I've been listening to the podcast pretty uh, pretty uh, methodically, and uh, not only are you getting becoming a a world class interviewer, but also the people that you've brought on uh, just is quite flattering to be back.
0: Oh, good. Thank you very much for that. I don't know how it's changed, but I'm glad it has. <laughs> <laughs> the art of the interview, man. You're, yeah, you're, you're it just it seems just quite to be good at it. Yeah, it's just organically evolved, I think, but um, but appreciate that. Um, So things have changed for you a little bit, or a lot, a um, couple thousand miles, I'm guessing, um, yeah. over, over the last, um, well, recent past. Do you just want to give us a bit of a, um, a history lesson on what's been happening over the last couple of years?
2: sure so um i had uh uh, i've spent uh, quite a bit of my life in australia um i did some education there as well and the last 11 years i've been been living there and working with AIS uh, sports, AIS-funded sports. So last time we did the interview, I was um, uh, working with Surfing Australia and uh, affiliated with um, um, the the programs there and the pathway uh, through that sport, which was a really great challenge. And to be honest, I thought that that would be something that would uh, probably – you know, keep me grounded there for a lot longer than the five years that I spent there. So, although I was 11 years on my last stint in Australia, five of them were with were with Surfing Australia and developing that that new high performance program. Um, but uh, an opportunity uh, arose um, that I was approached about to come back to Canada, um, and my wife and I were are from here. We consider you know home for us was Northern New South Wales, Australia, but if we were to have a home in Canada, it would be Vancouver Island. So I'm back based on Vancouver Island, uh, which is, which is great. The city is Victoria. Um, and there's also, I go to Whistler quite regularly, uh, Vancouver quite regularly and Ottawa. Um, I work for the Canadian Sports Institute as the director of performance services. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a new role here um there are similar roles across the country and other institutes um uh, like in ontario they've just hired uh hired a new staff member in quebec at ins and uh, my colleague jason in calgary so um yeah it's, it's 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 really exciting it's a it's a huge huge change but um yeah no regrets we've been pretty stoked like my son's stoked my my wife's really happy and i'm i'm really happy it's it's awesome
0: sounds great so I think we have a well in the EAS over here I think we have a similar role but do you just want to uh, tell us what the a bit more about the the role itself and who you're working sure. with and how it's kind of structured
2: Sure. So um, we work with 22 national team disciplines. The Canadian Sports Institute across the country works with 66 national federations or national teams, if you will. Um, we work with 22 of those here in the Pacific region across the three campuses. With Whistler, it's more of your dude sports. Um, so Calgary is really, really authentic and really the hub for your winter racing sports. Um, so you're, you're very senior level like bobsled and stuff like that. That's how Calgary. What we have is your freestyle ski, snowboard. Um, you know, those are really the key ones, and there's multiple disciplines to them, and they're based out of Whistler. We have some team sports and uh, and and some individual sports like say BMX racing, where their hub is Vancouver, and then Victoria, where I'm I'm currently located today, um, is uh, is a, a more of a summer sport hub, and this is where your rowers and your cyclists and your women's rugby sevens and your um, middle distance and and those kind of sports uh, are, are here. So a mix of team and individual over here in Victoria. Um, the role itself, um, after we went through and I got this really long job description, I, I was really honest, I, I, I don't really work well with those kind of details um, in job descriptions. To me, that equates to rules and tasks, and uh, yeah, I'm just kind of not into that. Um, I don't really like rules. Uh, I don't mind frameworks, but rules seem like rigid things to me that uh, I don't I don't feel comfortable with. Um, so I kind of just scrap my job description. I can break it down into two simple things. I have an internal role, which I'm aspiring to have excellence and engagement. So staff. Um, are achieving and striving towards excellence and are engaged as a team. Uh, and then externally, it's about our partnerships with our national teams and basically being able to get the best outcome we possibly can um moving along with our partners and there's the sort of many partners i suppose in the canadian landscape between various funding as well as the the way sport is administered in in canada um is you might call it uh complex uh so there's a, a big component there
0: i'm definitely robbing the um the, the dude sports phrase i like that Yes. Yeah. You're definitely yeah, definitely a doom yeah. sports guy.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm extremely comfortable in that chaotic space for sure, and so it's 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 really funny too because I, as I would describe it, is um, you know I've come back to Canada and I'm I'm trying to learn I'm trying to learn French again because mm-hmm. embarrassingly I'm I'm not um, I'm not multilingual, um, and so I'm I'm learning French, but as I've said to a few colleagues. I am trilingual though, Um, you know, as we joke and say, like, I just thought you said you were working on your French and then, you know, what languages do you know? And I said, well, no, see, I can go to Whistler and I can speak dude (laughs) and I can also go in the boardroom and put a collar shirt on and I can, you know, I can present what we're doing there. But then I've got this other language that I've always had, which is I can, I can go into the weight room and I can speak coach to, to an athlete who, who might be in a sport like, you know, like rowing where they work really hard to go backwards, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Snowboarders don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I can. I can be understood and understand the snowboarder, but I can also be understood and understand the rower and and then also go in a boardroom and, 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 you know, talk to an accountant and usually scare the accountant, but then we can come up with a resolution and, and move forward. So I, and I love moving between those three things and that's the main role. But, um, having said that, um, yeah, there's like 55 performance services staff in our organization and, um, you know, so I've really jumped up in how many people that I'm uh, helping and working with and 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 I, I suppose you'd say leading. Um, what I really love about that is that, um, you know, leadership done well is not about gathering power. It's about empowering people. And that works really well if you work with great people who have good values and they live their values and they're conscious of that. And I've inherited this amazing staff. Now, I've known some of them for years and years and years. Like Some of the staff here, I actually was their strength conditioning coach a million years ago. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but just in general, I'm like, man, it's like high fives in the hallway. Like, it's just <laughs> awesome. like, it's, like I've honestly given about 20 high fives today and not gimmicky, like, you know, kind of, you know. side um,
0: by the bell style.
2: Yeah, yeah, or like, you know, we work at McDonald's, give me a high five cuz you, you know, delivered the chicken McNuggets on time. It's like genuinely like I'm so stoked to see you and yes, I saw you yesterday for 11 hours, but this is how bloody great is is life and and I just love that human element to it, just getting in there and, you know, and yeah, it sounds really corny, but um, you know, it's 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 great stuff and 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 that's a big component of that internal side um and uh yeah just trying to add to the legacy that that's that's been built here and uh and and working on that but I guess the other aspect too, though, is I'm a coach, right? So I've got a coach and this is a leadership role. I, I could get away with wearing collar shirts every day, but I'm not going to do that. So half of my job um, is, is, and this is sort of a new initiative that we're just sort of striking up this week, half of, half of my new job will be working hands-on with a lot of the snowboard disciplines. So um, I won't be going to like rowing regattas because let's face it, like rowing people are kind of crazy. <laughs> so. I keep an, an arm's length away from them, but um, you know in in terms of my hands on sport up to my neck, getting dirty in the weight room gymnastics hall, it's going be gonna be snowboarding and then of course I'm going to help a few surfers here in Canada mm-hmm. so been doing that a little bit as well. So when you talk
0: about um, having the ability to flip between the three, the, the mm. kind of boardroom, the um, you know whistler and and the, and the gym. Is is that something you've is that something you've developed, um, you know, without even kind of thinking about? It? Or is that something that you've consciously gone out of your way to, to develop them skills to be able to flip in out of them
2: kind of characters? Oh, cool, cool question. Yeah. Um, so the the. Th- the first two to consider are really easy for me because they're who I am. So I've always been interested in training. Um, even when I was an athlete, I was just a bit more interested in training than other kids around me. Like, I mean, doing things like making my own weights in, in the garage and having my dad hang a rope from the garage and a rope climb or do things like that, or like writing down training programs as a, like a child, Mm -hmm. like literally I was like 10 or 11 when I started writing training programs for myself, which is super weird. So speaking that mindset and that language, you know, it's easy for me to shift from, you know, talking to a track and field coach to talking to a snowboard coach because I'm also the, punk guy that is interested in surfing and skateboarding and snowboarding and bmx racing so you know when people at work joke it's like oh yeah the bmxers with their tattoos or whatever i'm like yeah i'm a bmxer with a tattoo it's like i I literally i'm like in my 40s and i still dirt jump a bmx bike (laughs) (laughs) like that's who i am you know and like i'm like I'm setting goals like this winter, I'm going to do a backside 360, you know, <laughs> on my snowboard. Like, it's like, that's who I am. So those first two are really authentic and easy. And then the other one, you just get through work experience and study and work life and like, you know, taking courses like, um, you know, um, financial controlling for non-financial executives. Okay. All right, now I, I'm not a financial controller, but at least I can talk to one, right? And just having those kind of conversation times, and and knowing, you know, what goes on in a board room, like being a board member of the Australian Strength Conditioning Association was super helpful for me because I learned a lot from from all the people, like. Um, Dan Baker and um, Julian Jones and um, John Mitchell and um, David Boyle were my co board members and they all have a very different skill set you know um, you know uh, David Boyle is probably under under uh, recognized for his business acumen you know because he's known as this very very scary man that played rugby league for New South Wales and ran people over and that that is true that's totally true but he's a, he's a teddy bear and he's a shrewd and ethical business person. Um, most people don't know about that. So, you know, you learn all these things. Julian Jones is incredibly organized. Um, he has his finger on the pulse of a million things. I would need a hundred notebooks to know what just he has on call in his, in his brain at any point in time. So just as an example, you know, John Mitchell is a deep thinker. Um, Dan Baker, um, gets the ethics of, of working with people and doing the right thing, you know? So if he says he's going to do something, he does So, you know, he's got integrity. So these are all sort of lessons that can be learned and then you can, you know, bring them in, 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 the, in the, in the boardroom. So I just, uh, yeah. And then just physically, I actually just keep a wardrobe at work, man. I got, I got collar shirts and dress shoes, but then of course I got, you know, weightlifting shoes and, you know, board shorts and all that kind of stuff. So, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. And you can definitely, well, by by the sounds of it from our, um, Chat off air. You can you can speak the fourth language of Dan Baker, which is uh, yeah, which is good.
2: Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's is. a it's a it's a unique one. Yeah, uh, it's a unique one. It's a special. Well, even just even just listening to it, it's it's um it's uh it's quite comedic. If anyone is out there who has been thinking of going to the Australian Strength Conditioning Association annual conference, which generally occurs in November, you really should go. And, um, you know, if you're going to skip any sessions, that's fine. Maybe you go to get some sun or whatever. You've come in from the UK or the United States in the Northern Hemisphere and you want to get some November sun on the Gold Coast or something, that's fine. Do not miss the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> we just give him the microphone and just sit back and he just lights it up.
0: A <laughs> couple of beers, a couple of beers in the mic and he's good.
2: Yep, yep. Couple of beers at the mic. Yes, yeah. 100 percent. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about that. And yeah. some meat,
0: some Australian yeah. meat. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so the courses that you mentioned, what? The, sorry, the courses that you mentioned about um, giving you an insight into the kind of boardroom uh, persona—not persona, but that kind of world. Sure. Um, can, can you give us a few examples of ones that? That may have kind of give you um, a real insight and a, and a real kind of education into into that world, or was it just mixing with these guys because of the roles that you had?
2: Hundred percent mixing with people. I mean, uh, knowledge without application is is a is a disconnect, right? So, um, it's really important to see things and 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 some people learn best by sort of studying something and then trying it and really studying the studying it in, in great detail um, and then some people are a bit more like no I just I just need to do it I just need to do it I don't want to read a book I don't want to take a course um, for me I found it's a bit of a mix um, so I, I do enroll in formal courses um, I, I do I just really like them I, I still go to conferences and some people be like why do you why do you still feel like you're getting something out of that conference and I'm like well I, I, I'm reframing what I'm getting out of It. I'm changing my expectation where I'm looking for different things out of it. So I do like signing up for formal courses. Some of the best ones I've done. probably more recently, is the Australian Institute of Sport uh, partnered with Melbourne Grad School of Business. And uh, we did some great courses that ranged from conflict, conflict resolution to negotiation to um, you know uh, leadership in chaos, leadership in change, some really great things. And so you were actually practicing various things amongst your colleagues and peers uh, in a bit of a, a cone of silence, which is great because we would use real-life examples. Like you know somebody from one sport would be like, I'm having trouble with this sponsor or I'm having trouble with this coach or I'm having trouble with this athlete or um, with a selection policy. And we would actually workshop those ideas together in a very confidential way. That was amazing. Another good one was uh, Crucial Conversations. It's a book, but it's also a two-day course. Um, that one was really good, um, and then just reading a lot of business books on boardroom behavior, on um, organizational culture. I mean, every every business book I read, I just keep thinking, this is a book on coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Because like they really are. Like, I had a staff member come in. I have the, I keep this little thing in the office called the leadership library, and I just uh, my my Harvard Business Review magazines. When I'm done with them, I just put them there, and staff grab them. But I've also got all different books on leadership. So I've got my kind of you know um, high performance training for sports and strength conditioning for sport performance books on one side of the room, and then I got the leadership library on the other, and people come in and they're like, what's the best book on coaching you've read recently? I'm like, Good to Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, come Jim, yeah. Jim Collins, real sports fan. I don't know. But it, I mean, it's uh, he studied businesses and how they went from uh, good success uh, to, to to greatness. And I'll, like some of those things, I'm like, this is about culture and good training is about culture, you know? And um, of course, legacy uh, about the All Blacks, like what a great—I mean, that made me want to play rugby for New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> That's just—I don't even know how many times I've read that book. Don't <laughs> tell Dan.
0: Don't <girl laughs> tell Dan. He it.
2: Oh yeah, <laughs> probably just wrestle me. Like usually happens around midnight when we get caught up together. So, and then Cersei wrestles me as well. So he's what? Just his wife, then wrestles me, which oh, is right, okay. Beat up by a forty-five kilo woman. <laughs>
0: So, just one thing that I just want to ask you um, before we get into the kind of trading chat was: you obviously you said that you didn't expect this kind of opportunity to happen. You thought you might be in Oz a little bit longer. For someone mm. that's for someone that's done what you've done throughout your career, what what did you see the the path was moving forward when you were in Oz, and what did you think the kind of future held for you?
2: So, um, I would have said uh, two or three years ago, um, I probably wouldn't have been thinking about even sort of leaving because I I still felt like there was lots to do in the previous role and I I think sometimes in in strength conditioning in particular or um, you know now my role is strength conditioning but there's there's still you know there's the other leadership aspects but I, I think sometimes people move on from jobs too quickly um, and maybe they have different aspirations. It could be financial reasons. Um, some people are more motivated by finances than others, and that's fine. That's not a judgment call on my part. It just is what it is. Um, and then some people are motivated by different factors. But a lot of what you sometimes hear is, oh, I just needed a new challenge. So I want to make it clear. I had plenty of challenges at Surfing Australia and <laughs> it would have kept me motivated for another five years. What this offer I was thirsty for, was to throw myself up to my neck in the heat of the fire of leadership. I've come back to, so I shouldn't say chaotic, uh, it, it's it's uh, complex. Comple- uh, chaotic is when, when you're really way beyond complex. And when I say complex, I mean things like we have... Sport Canada funds On The Podium, On The Podium funds us, On The Podium funds the national sport organizations. Sport Canada also funds them, Sport Canada also funds us. Like just understanding how the landscape works, you know, multiple sports. Like I've gone from one sport to like 22 different sports, but then we have a minor role with the other 66 sports. This sport is moving here, this sport's moving away, this person's done this, this person's been hired, this person's been fired. Instead of saying, oh, my God, it's really complex, I'm like, I have got an appetite for this. <laughs> you know, like, how cool is this? You know, and, and people kind of look at me funny because I've come in with this new energy for it because I'm thirsty for it. I'm not I'm not jaded by it. And people are like, oh, my God, I just wish the system was so much simpler. And I, I'm like standing there, like, smacking my hands together going, how awesome is this problem? Like, this is so messed up. How good is this? This is so messed up. So right now we have very low uncertainty and very low agreement. Let's get some certainty and agreement, and we'll move from complex to operational excellence, and then we'll move on because there'll be another problem. And when people get down down with it, I say to them, you know, if it was actually a great system that was super perfect, half of us wouldn't have a job. So we have a role to play. <laughs> so, you know, let's let's get after it, you know. And, you know, the other day it's like, oh, we got these – these athletes that are rock stars that are in here and oh you know it's like a bad thing and i'm like really Mm -hmm. you kidding me like this is awesome that we have snowboarders that are rock stars like let's let's figure that out you know um like let's let's just embrace that you know like that's really cool and the fact that you've got these dude sports and you've got people who haven't worked with dude sports who are like I don't get these guys. Like, I don't understand. Like, you know, I don't understand where they're coming from. And why don't they like this? And why don't they like that? And I'm like, why don't we stop asking them why they won't do stuff and ask them what made them great? Uh Because they didn't follow rules to get where they are, right? To borrow a line from Darren Roberts, they didn't follow any rules to get to where they are. Let's embrace that, you know? And let's not necessarily try and you know change who they are like this is a fun problem but if you look at it like i want them to, to be like rowers well we're gonna have the worst snowboarders in the <laughs> Do that. Yeah, yeah you know these guys are risk takers let's go there with them i'd like someone to build them a better helmet mind you <laughs> yeah. that would be nice <laughs> um, but you know i don't want people to get unnecessarily get hurt or die but you know, if we try and put them in a box, they're either not going to get in there with us, they're not going to go with us or whatever. So all of these things are really complex, and I just I just love that. I just love that, that I can go downstairs right now, and I know that Nick is working with some rowers, and they're straight-laced dudes from probably a private school, and, you know, I – I can put that on and be like, I understand, I, yeah, everything's quantified, everything is planned, everything has a, a very stringent framework, and then, you know, go work with these other sports, and, and then also the human element in between. It's, it's pretty cool.
0: Just going to take a quick break in the chat with Jeremy. So in the second half, you can look forward to Basically, I'm chatting about it with a train chat, which is basically why I got uh, Jeremy on the show in the first place. So not as tired this time uh, talking to Jeremy. I remember it was probably 18 months ago, like I mentioned, maybe two years when I got up at, well, I went to bed at 10, got up at 12, spoke to Jeremy, who I think was in in Perth, Australia at the time, uh, over an event. Went back to bed at about half past one after speaking to him for an hour and a half, absolutely buzzing. Uh, and the same happened this time. Uh, it was great chat. Uh, we always have a uh, really good chat before and after the podcast, which is fantastic. Um, Jeremy's very, uh, very generous with his time, which is great. Um, so in the second half of the podcast, like I say, uh, in the training chat, getting to, into a bit of depth with the, the jumping and landing um, aspects of things that Jeremy's obviously got vast experience in. Just want to say a massive thanks to the sponsors of this episode today Inval Performance, Makers of the Nordboard, and Coach Me Plus. So, big thanks to Coach Me Plus for providing the Sports Science Minute at the start of this episode. And I'm going to leave you with Jeremy in part two. I uh, hope you enjoy, and I'll speak to you soon. So, getting on to a little bit of the train chat and just reviewing a little bit what we. Uh, what we discussed eighteen months ago, yeah. And you've obviously worked uh, extensively with with volleyball um, athletes and, and and athletes that are, that are pretty jumping hundreds of times a day. How yeah. does that? How does training for someone like that um, in, in the kind of jumping and landing element of their training? How does that differ to someone like a snowboarder? Obviously, you've got um, maybe someone doing tricks and that kind of thing. How how does their train differ um from doing jumping landing training between the two
2: yeah really good point um yeah absolutely so what what you're sort of talking about here is where um jumping in the sport of volleyball is really really high volume um whereas jumping as a training method for surfers and snowboarders, can be directly related to um, the performance in their sport. Yeah. So, whereas jumping in volleyball is the number one performance indicator of the sport, so if you jump higher, you will be a better volleyball player. It's literally as simple as that. And I've actually had, I've had volleyball coaches really question that, and I'm like, Really? Okay, really? <laughs> let's get into it. So, you jump higher, you can block better because you're taking up more space so they have to then hit around you. They definitely can't hit over you if you have a superior jump. But also when you jump in volleyball on the attack, you have more options because you can hit over people, you can hit off the block and if that goes out of bounds and doesn't get retrieved, that's a point. You can hit it down uh cleanly. You've just got way more angles. It's just it's just the way it is. So most people are just going to go, well, yeah, jumping. But then you think, well, jumping for a surfer, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we, we, um, we've already published a study on that. Josh Seckman was a lead author. Uh, Josh did part of his PhD on this, where, um, and he's a, he's a a, a died-in-the-wool strength coach, but um, he he did a, he did a PhD um, in S and C on surfing, and um, he he did, you know we discovered that the rating that you get for your turning ability is um, is related to your lower body power. And then what you know through through a vertical jump, but then what underpins that is actually your maximal strength. So even though you say, well, what does that what does max strength have to do with surfing? Well, it has to do with your power production in the jump, which has to do with 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 your surfing performance. But you're not gaining much jumping development in surfing even though you're doing airs and you're doing turns. So it's almost like the jump training that a surfer and snowboarder might do will impact upon their slope-style performance in snowboarding, or it'll impact upon their turn and aerial performance in surfing, but the sport won't develop it itself. In volleyball, the sport actually will develop the jump. So the difference in training is you're using jumps to develop the sport, in snowboarding and surfing. In volleyball, you're using specific jumps to develop specific aspects related to jumping performance in volleyball. Because as you touched on, they're jumping hundreds of times a day. I mean, a high volume for a middle blocker who's the heaviest athlete on the court, those guys would be doing um, between 2,500 and 5,000 jumps a week. So giving them more of that is... You know, like going out in a, you know, in you know a, a hurricane and bringing a blow dryer and seeing <laughs> if you're going to blow the hurricane away from you. Like oh, I'm just protecting. Oh, turn on a blow dryer. Like it's useless, right? So to add 20 jumps a workout of counter movement jumps or block jumps is 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 nonsensical. And we've studied the crap out of that. Like our control groups in all our volleyball studies, we're always just doing counter movement jumps and nothing ever happened because they already do thousands of them per week um, but if you give them very specific jumps that are based on a detailed profile of which neuromuscular aspects they're lacking in you will actually have this it's it's this uniqueness of that jump style so it might be a depth jump or a, a, an eccentric uh, accentuated jump jump as another example or a loaded jump or you know things like that based on detailed testing um that'll be that'll be the key thing for them but the other thing too is managing total load is in a jumping and landing sport like volleyball you have got to know how much they're jumping you just you have to you have to figure that out even if you're guessing um so we use microsensors for that and we validated um the uh, the Vert device recently as a pretty bloody good one, um, okay. which was bittersweet because I spent nine years trying to work with math guys and computer dudes and stuff to build the first volleyball one, right? And we never quite got it right, and then we just bought these ones off the shelf, and turns out they were good.
0: That's <laughs> <laughs> really Bastards. sort
2: of bittersweet. <laughs> yeah, bittersweet. We're like, where were you nine years ago when I really was angry about? counting vertical jumps with my little thumb counter and getting interns to write it down on a piece of paper following 18 national team volleyball players. But yeah, you've just got to know, just like a surfer, you've got to know how much they're surfing with a slope to that you got to know how many times they're falling out of a sky from a 90 foot jump and landing with, I don't know, 18 times body weight or whatever the heck it is. You just got to know how much they're doing that to themselves. Um, in a volleyball setting you just have to know if you want to do a real good job you've got to know how much they're doing it and you got to know how to uh, to look at that acute and chronic training load
0: so do you want to talk to us a little bit about that profiling process that you talked about to 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 know exactly where that athlete needs to focus that specific jump training
2: sure i I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of really good work, and I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. Um, so, you know, my thoughts today might might be influenced by something um, that I've worked on last week or something that I used to do ten years ago. So, I just sort of want to preface that as um, I, I sometimes hear people. Um, I'm gonna say not so much on your podcast, but sometimes I hear Hey come back. They're fused to their idea. And it's like, whoa! Are you reflecting? Because if you're not reflecting, then you're not familiar And I really careful about being fused to an idea. So for me, this is, you know, just a concept. Say, let's say the setting is a volleyball player. Um, one thing I would consider doing uh, um, uh, would be to look at a depth jump versus a counter movement jump uh, and an approach jump so the counter movement jump reflects their block jump in general because their block jump you know maybe with a two-hand reach and all that kind of stuff but it's really strongly reflected by simply just a counter movement jump and reach and they also have to do that to say joust which is a type of offensive slash defensive movement so a, a counter movement jump is literally like how high can you reach the ball when you have to joust, when the ball is uh, interplay between the net. Um, but it also literally strongly reflects exactly what their block jump's going to look like. So i do that one, and that's their normal jump. Then they'd have an approach jump, which is like an attack jump. And then you compare the two. How much greater distance are they getting with an attack jump, with, with a three or four step run up? And that gives you an indication of their stretch load tolerance, their ability to transfer the horizontal into vertical. Um, but it is off also reflecting technique in that attack jump. Then what I'd look at is the depth jump. Um, and I would go pretty deep, and I would look at several different heights of the depth jump. So 20 centimeters, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 with an elite level athlete. So how high are they getting off that? And then you can profile where their better jumps are. And this might be called their optimal drop jump height, or the height where they get the best jump whilst dropping, and this reflects their stretch shortening cycle ability um, in terms of a high stretch load tolerance, because they have to drop from that box and then very quickly get off the ground um, in order to use that uh, extra velocity in, in, in coming into the ground. So if an athlete, say, has a better counter movement jump than any of their depth jumps, it strongly suggests that that's something that's totally underdeveloped. And it could be that it's underdeveloped just because they're piss-weak. So they they drop – that's a scientific term, by the way, (laughs) um, from Australia now being used in Canada. So the piss-weak athlete falls off the box, and their body just goes, holy holy crap, I can't handle that. You just made me drop off a box, and I'm just so – I just don't even have the structure to handle that. So it's not just as simple as – your counter movement jump is okay. It's 320 centimeters, uh, maximum reach, obviously not relative. And then you drop off a box and it's 310. Okay. Got to give them depth jumps. That's not, it's not as simple as that, but let's say their, their strength tests demonstrate that you're thinking as a coach, you're like, I see the nuance here. They're strong, but they're not able to, you know, transfer that into a under a high stretch load. So depth jumps could be very useful for that athlete. Um, another option as well could be using accentuated eccentric loads, where they do a counter movement jump, but they drop the extra weight, so they can just hold dumbbells or sandbags or kettlebells or whatever you want, and they drop the extra weight, and then they jump up onto the box, and that creates an acute. Uh, increase in power of between 6 and 10%. We found chronically uh, over a training study, uh, you could typically expect a 6 or 7% improvement with an elite level population. Um, You could see that as early as five weeks in some athletes. Um, Some athletes, it would take 10 weeks to get that 6 or 7% improvement. Just bearing in mind, though, that with that with those kind of populations I'm referring to, six to seven percent improvement is a personal best for everyone that you're talking about. So it's it's pretty profound if you just introduce that that unique exercise. Um, you may find that their approach jump is not very good. Compared to their counter movement jumps, so they're a run up jump, and it could be a basketball player or volleyball player. It's not very good, but they have great depth jumping ability. I would say have a closer look at their technique in the approach jump. Could be more of a technique aspect. Because when you run up in approach jump, it's not the same as a depth jump, but the under, underpinning neuromuscular aspects are similar in that you have to. Um, you have to basically absorb the force, use that, have an have a efficient amortization phase, and then provide propulsion um, from the horizontal into the upwards. So it's not the same kinematics, but there are similar neuromuscular aspects, neurogenic aspects to it. Um, other ones, of course, like, uh, you know, years ago I would muck around with a million different loaded jump squats. I don't put my time into that anymore. Um, but one thing you could do, Um, is simply use an isometric mid-thigh pull, compare it to a a squat jump or a jump squat without load, and then uh, create a ratio on the force. Um, If your, say, your squat jump force is um, 1,400 newtons and your isometric mid-thigh pull is 2,000 newtons, um, you're... Utilizing a fair proportion of your max strength capabilities in your jump, it probably suggests that your your next improvement is probably going to come from just getting stronger, because mm-hmm. 2,000 newtons for a 40 kilo athlete is pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you're uh, if you're a 95 kilo volleyball player um, and you're using you know 70 percent of your force capability in a dynamic movement compared to your maximum, and your maximum is only 2,000 newtons probably suggest that there's some work to be done that, that gains to be made on getting stronger. But again, like I said about the depth jump, it's not black and white. And that's the lovely thing about it. It's, it's nuance. We don't lead by spreadsheets. We don't coach by spreadsheets. You, you, you get involved in the nuance, the the science and the number crunching and the data collection Helps inform your coaching. It helps legitimize your coaching. Um, you know, some people get into coaching to legitimize their sports science. That's never been my path. My path has always been: you get into sports science to legitimize and strengthen your coaching, and and to give you uh, another sort of a uh, sort of options so you know you might be really happy with some other lifts and the way they move and and you know and you're like yeah the mid-thigh pull is strong this isn't maybe you don't even like that test that's cool maybe you love jump squats in which case i'd say okay well how about an unloaded jump squat and a 50 uh, percent of body weight jump squat and a hundred percent of body weight jump squat and then you can look at the ratios there so if your jump height at 50 50- 50% of body weight. So you're a gram volleyball player, and your let's say, to keep the numbers really simple for the listeners—well, actually, more for me. Um, <laughs> but the, the unloaded jump squat, you get 100 centimeters off the ground. That's pretty incredible without an arm swing. <laughs> yeah. But you got a you got a towel on your back, 100 centimeters center of mass displacement. Holy cow! We got an Alpha Formula One here, right? Alpha male Formula One. 100 centimeters off the ground. You put 50% of their body weight on the bar. 50 kilograms, they do the same jump and they jump 45 centimeters. So they're at 45% when you add 50% load. Um, and then you put a hundred key ki- or hundred kilos on their back and they're at 20%. They jump 20 centimeters to me, from my experience and from research, I read in Alpine ski in, um, in, in uh, Europe, who originally started doing this stuff, and I boarded off them, some older work. Um, I think some of this stuff, even schmidt Bleicher might have played around with it. Um, I think it might have even predated his time at Leipzig um, in the training center there when it was um, formally two Germany's. Um, you've really got um, a strong indication that that athlete is your alpha male. They are the Formula One, but they're currently, you know, could really benefit from just getting structurally stronger. Um, because you might sort of be more comfortable with ratios of say half your body weight somewhere plus or minus ten percent should be about sixty five percent and a hundred percent of your body weight you know with some nuance and variation thirty five percent you know end, but the, as Dan said on yeah yeah of their unloaded but as dan said on his recent podcast he was a little bit gun shy about giving specific numbers i'm i'm saying hold on hold on don't forget the nuance right this isn't black and white there's always nuance like hey this guy's got a great squat but it looks a lot like a deadlift and their ankle doesn't move hey that's coaching man Get after that clear that ankle so that their squat actually looks like a squat and their deadlift looks like a deadlift or I don't do deadlifts. Well, good for you. Like, it's all good, man. It's all good. People, people were winning gold medals and running fast and jumping high long before you and I were even born. So it's all, it's all good. These are just numbers that are nice reference points. Don't coach from a spreadsheet. The spreadsheet talks to the coach. The coach talks to the athlete, you know. So um, just some, some options anyways.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So just where I remember, I've just written it
0: down. The vert device. Yeah. Um, what kind of data is that
2: that giving you? So the Vert device is uh, giving. I think it can give you a few things. We um, we stuck with just wanting it to be a potential solution for monitoring of. Uh, athletes who are doing a lot of jumping, like volleyball players, and this was led by my colleague Paula Charlton, um, and she is a physio originally. She also has a a master's in strength conditioning. She also has a PhD, and she she works at the Australian Institute of Sport. And the the project here was in collaboration with the biomechanics department and a, a few other departments. And uh, I had the good fortune of having Paula bring me into the um, bring me into the project as a, a volleyball, you know authentic volleyball advisor type thing. Um because I at the time we did this, I still had a relationship with the Australian Volleyball Federation. Um, But also I think she Paula probably just took pity on me because I'd spent so many years and everyone at the AIS knew that I'd spent so many years trying to come up with um with various uh ways to automate um the the way that volleyball players load loads were monitored. so the, the the key thing there was that um, it was about getting a solution that would allow us to be able to say within a certain limit uh, of agreement or a certain uh, error limit we can be confident that if the if the device says that the athletes jumped thirty five hundred times this week we know it's it's not a thousand kind of yeah yeah you know we were, we were looking for a usable validation um so i must be clear paula drove that project and i, I had the good fortune of being involved and and yeah i, I think um i'm really really glad um because man I, I was having this conversation at nike and i was having this conversation at ais with a million different people and so i'm like yep Volleyball, vert, you know, I think the company wants to do different things, but for me, I know it's good at measuring just how many times you jump, and that is a quantum leap in automation of, of, of quantifying training load. Yeah.
0: So with all, with all the focus on on jumping, how, how yep. much time goes into the actual landing aspect, of uh, firstly, of a volleyball athlete? And then, obviously, is uh, on, on a contrast, uh, someone like a, a surfer or a or a snowboarder, when landing is going to be the the
2: key to them getting the
0: points or not breaking the leg or you know whatever it might be.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so critical, um, so important for success. Uh, you know, you if you go for a flight, uh, you know, you're you're pretty confident um, that the pilot can fly. Um, but I think the real key thing you want is that they can land the plane. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's, that's really key. Um, and I think, I don't think it's been underlooked at all, um, you know, historically, but, um, we do need to be conscious that, um, we tend to get better at what we measure. So, you know, we can almost get biases in our programming. So, I, 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 I go deep in it and I, I, I think it's really important to measure landings. Um, so Lena Lundgren and Ty Tran did their PhDs with me. Um, Ty actually works uh, with half pipe skiing now and still uses landing training. He did his PhD with me with surfing and he and Lena and I worked on uh, you know some landing uh, protocols to create a landing a landing test and then we've just modified it for other sports and that's that's really key. And Rob Newton, and Sophia Nymphius helped us a great deal with the, with the details on that. And Alina a, a genius, and so she wrote all the code, which thankfully Ty and I were – we looked over her shoulder one day and just went, oh, let's go surfing. Man. Like this is, this, is heavy. <laughs> this is heavy stuff. We're just going to leave you to it. Um, so I think that's really important. And then I've had this amazing good fortune. Professor Julie Steele, heavy hitter in landing training, her son's a surfer. so so she was like yeah we hit it off she was like you know jeremy working with you it like legitimizes what i do to my son which is amazing and i'm like you kidding me like you're julie steele (laughs) so i was like this is like i'm bragging to my colleagues like I'm a strength coach, but I'm working with
1: Julie Steele.
2: <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It's really cool. Um, so we actually wrote a chapter in um, Joycey and Lewindon's book, Sports Injury Prevention and, and Rehab, which articulates a lot of our um, thoughts between Julie and I on on landing. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a critical part, and um, measuring it's important, but also training it as well. And and, and you know, I'm not going to claim that you know this is original thought. Like if you if you look at uh, like Greg Meyer, I mean, I think I can't remember somewhere in the states. You know, once once you take me out of California, Oregon, I don't know, it all blends in <laughs> together. But he's in Cincinnati or something. Super heavy hitter, dude. Uh, great speaker um, been to a couple of his lectures and he just he's just obsessed with injury prevention you know primarily in and around adolescent athletes so ACLs and things like that you know and, and he, he talks about measuring it he talks about analyzing it qualitatively quantitatively um, and also also training it and um, and I, there's just great information out there on it um, you know some people are like haters on training or testing it off of a box drop jump and that that's cool. They're, they're really interested in that idea um, they, they want to look at how people land from an authentic jump and all that kind of stuff I like to do both we like to lab it and control for the height so that we get real consistent time to stabilization and force attenuation measures. So, okay, you've landed from one meter and you're four times body weight and it took you 550 milliseconds. Well, to do that consistently and be confident in those numbers, we need them to drop from a very specific height in a very specific and controlled way. But I get those people that you know, see the limitations in that as it's not an authentic jump and land, it's a land. So, uh, you know, we're also going to look, we have volleyball players. And Adam Gorman, this skill acquisition guy uh, from Australia, who's a brilliant, brilliant guy in that area, studied under Damien Farrow, he brought in this cool system for volleyball players where just twice a week they would be hitting hitting volleyballs, so very much in the normal training environment, hitting a volleyball, and then there'd be a delay on the camera and they'd be able to see their jump and their land. And then they would just sort of, you know, on a whiteboard just tick a box like, did did i have my center of mass within my base of support i mean we, we know this from research that's critical it reduces the additional stress on the knees um did i actively absorb through my ankle knee and hip uh you know in a coordinated fashion you know or was it a hip dominant landing or an ankle dominant landing um you know uh did, did i land on both feet if possible and uh, we say, if possible, because if there's a block, sometimes the athlete won't la- won't be able to land on two feet at all because it just doesn't work, you know, and biomec- biomechanists get upset and say, why can't volleyball players always land on two feet? And it's like, well, because they jump up in the air and then three Chinese dudes come up and they take out all the real estate above the net. So the Australian guy's going to have to lean to the right or lean to the left to, to hit around them. Um, and so when you do that, you're going to land off balance Well, same thing with a skier and a wind Hits them or a snowboard or whatever, they're not gonna land perfectly. Like things go wrong when a seven foot player goes a meter in the air um and gets hit hit by a teammate or has to adjust. Things go wrong when you go and you hit a ninety foot gap jump and you are trying to win the Olympic gold medal and you're trying to do a fourteen forty triple cork and it's a side wind. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully things don't go wrong and you land on your head, but you might land really hard on one leg. So you kind of have a little bit of a give and take with that. But yeah, absolutely. And the other question that often comes up is, does does landing have to be absolutely context-specific? In other words, does training and landing in the weight room transfer to uh, reducing injury or increasing resilience um, in the field? Um, Great question love the humility in people asking that question all i can answer to that is in surfing all our evidence says yes lena lundgren dr lena lundgren now brilliant biomechanist um the testing reflected the athlete's landing ability obviously that's why you created the test um, as they trained it they got better at the test as they trained it they didn't get as many injuries as those that didn't train it so you know, we went well beyond, a uh, I reckon, and she researched the crap out of it and uh, very strong, very, very strong level of evidence. So uh, we also found it with volleyball. We just didn't publish that um, for um, some specific reasons around a competitive advantage.
0: Mm-hmm. Tons of resources there as well. So thanks, uh, thanks for mentioning all then guys. I'm going to have to pre review it and then send um – send you the uh, the names that you mentioned just so, to get some to get some links to the to the resources that you mentioned which i think could go down a treat for people cool um but i'm just conscious of time and and um i've come out of a long meeting so I don't want to keep you forever um but i know you're um are you,
2: are you reasonably active on social media or uh, like i uh, lately no okay um but uh, I'm I'm at Shepherd Coach for Twitter and Instagram, and um, you know, a, a couple nights I've thought about going on Facebook because I'm missing out. But I just can't. I can't make the argument where I like, I sort of go, well, this, you know, how much is this going to improve my life? Is this going to improve my life? And I know it seems like a very weird way to do things, but like I, I do that even with purchases. Like I, I'm, I mean, I'm back in Canada. I'm hunting, I'm snowboarding, I'm surfing, I'm BMXing. My wife bought us an economy car. <laughs> it's cool. She's brilliant. Really, She's got a good deal on it. Like, dude, I need a truck. Yeah. And so I've gone down and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get a Toyota Tacoma. It's $50,000, right? <laughs> and I'm like, is that, that going to improve my life? I'm going to get a used Tacoma (laughs) because it's going to improve my life to get a Tacoma. I need something to put deer in the back of, right? Absolutely. But, and i tell you what, it's not a Toyota Matrix. You can't put a deer in the back of that and get away with it. (laughs) So I got to get my truck with a canopy or whatever. And I just asked myself that question, like, is this going to improve my life if I do this? Or is it, you know, so I've gone, okay, yeah, buy a used Tacoma or whatever. Don't buy the new one. So I keep going to Facebook going, what am I missing out on? And I just- nothing. I actually think I'm going to have I think I'm going to have more screen time man and my wife and I we don't even have a TV. We've never had a TV. We don't watch television. Mm-hmm. You know? That's so not bad, yeah. Facebook's just more screen time and yeah, I th- I think we have 3 Macintosh computers at home. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> enough screens, man. I you know, like I like books, like actually the ones that have pages and stuff. Um, what I like, I like yes, <laughs> yes, it's old school. I know, <laughs> but I like I, I like books and stuff like that. So, I I spend plenty of time with a laptop handy, and I just I just think it's gonna draw me there. And you know, to me, that's like, does that is that gonna improve my relationship with my son? Nope so now i'm kind of losing at home and all that kind of stuff but see twitter and instagram are not something that i would ever jump on with my son even around yeah you know those are like flights delayed but laptops are supposed to be away uh okay i'm gonna you know see whatever's going on and and it saves me time too because you'll do a new podcast and you'll you'll tweet it but also like Harvard Business Review will have a new article, and then mm-hmm. I'll go get it, and I follow them. Or uh, International Journal of Sport Performance Physiology, Journal of Strength Conditioning Research, or a new conference is coming up, or I'll just read something that like Stuart McMillan has has posted. You know, yeah. and it's great. Yeah. Two minutes and read that, and then I send him an email going, Yeah, you know, if you ever give up the track and field gig, dude, like <laughs> you should, you should just be like a, I don't know, one of those thought. Provoking people or whatever they're called. And just sit there um, and stroke his beard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah Walk no, around barefoot stroke <laughs> his beard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So, like those things, I could actually justify that they improve my life. So, that was a long winded answer to saying, yeah, no.
0: no. No, I like that. I like that because from, from the stuff you mentioned at the start, that you're hunting, you're snowboarding, you're uh, BMXing, all these things. And then you think, oh, shall I do that or should I go on Facebook?
2: Mm-hmm. Tough choice yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, it was funny I was when I was listening to the um to the to Dan's podcast for the hundredth um I was uh I was um listening to him, and he got to the point where he's like, nah, nah, nah you know like that old <laughs> Queensland you're like, are you chewing gravel right now, right <laughs> like, rah, rah, like uh, yeah, I don't do Facebook, and I was laughing because I wasn't doing Facebook and at the time I was actually running in the forest pitch dark with a headlamp on just to scare myself (laughs) because there's a lot of cougars where I live and I was just going I put my son to bed my wife came home from yoga class and I was like I'm going for a run and it's pissing rain and I was just like I had this grin on my face going I can't believe that I'm smiling like I mean it's cold it's raining autumn's coming and I'm, in, I'm running in a cougar infested forest with a headlap on and a knife strapped to my leg just to go this is Canada I, so I'm a Canadian too like how good is this and then I'm laughing going Dan's Dan's bagging Facebook and I'm I'm not on Facebook right now I'm running in the forest laughing at Dan can't wait to see him in November you know Give him a big hug because I I laughed so hard I had to take a knee, <laughs> <laughs> like I had to stop take a knee on the trail, yeah. Which is it does does tricks to your head when you're thinking you're no oh, is that a cougar and oh, I guess so, so. So you're getting neck bitten by a cougar. Yeah, that's right.
0: That's right. Not, but, he's, but, so- he, but he's saying all that while sat in his uh, sat in his holiday. Well, I, I don't think he's he a holiday home that you're there for six months. A home. Uh, yeah. In, in Bali.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. He's got um there's like this restaurant at the bottom and then um you just come in and anyone can use that restaurant and it's full of, you know, expats and stuff as you'd expect. Um and people gather there and watch various things. Like you can go watch the NRL games and the union games or or soccer games and stuff like that. Um and then he just yeah, he and Cersei just live upstairs and they've got a weight room and of course they've buffed out the weight room with their own stuff. Yeah, yeah. so, you know those bands and chains and all the various things that they like to incorporate into their training. There, it's a pretty cool setup.
0: Mm. So he's not. He did not live above the.
2: What what restaurant is it that he lives above? Oh, it's like it's like a restaurant that's part of. It's a restaurant bar that's part of the the kind of uh, setup um, okay. of their apartment. So you'd almost look at it like a like a condo. Right. Um, okay, right. So it's got the the common the common amenities are like a weight room and and a restaurant and stuff
0: right okay i was going to say it's not the um australian barbecue that he, he mentions he mentioned in the episode and he actually facebook messaged me when i was in Bali to say go to the australian barbecue place
2: yeah yeah i think it might be just down the road but um he's he's the he's the mayor of kuda anyway so he knows yeah so he he knows he knows oh absolutely absolutely
0: yeah well, Jeremy, thank you very much for coming on again and spending an hour having a chat. I really appreciate it.
2: Oh no, man! Thanks for the opportunity, and um, yeah, again, like I said at the start, super, super flattered to um, to have a you know a, a role in in what you're doing. It's great stuff.
0: Absolutely, thanks a lot, mate. Really appreciate that. And um, keep enjoying the uh, keep enjoying the night runs. Just be careful, them cougars. Keep the knife. Keep the knife. <laughs> yeah
2: yeah oh hey mate! it's uh bow season's open so yeah. <laughs> it's it's on long slow walks <laughs> in the woods <laughs> uh, with a with a compass of course so absolutely. i actually know how to get home <laughs> absolutely
0: absolutely mate yeah. we'll uh we'll keep in touch uh, and we'll speak soon okay thanks mate see you mate bye-bye take care Bye. so that's episode 103 done of the pace performance podcast thank you for tuning in Hope you enjoy the chat with Jeremy. But just before I let you go, just want to say a massive thanks to Val Performance and Coach Me Plus for sponsoring episode 103 today. So, if you are interested in getting to know more about the Nordboard, you can check out uh, Val Performance at valdperformance.com. You may have seen them uh, recently at the UKCA event, which was last weekend. So if you are interested in getting to know uh, more about that product uh, and a potential second product, just jump over to their website and there's, uh, there's more information on there. So look forward to speaking to you in episode 104 and I'll speak to you soon.